Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Sun's finally out. It's not raining. How about that for a Monday? Streaming online at supertalk.fm, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether it's buying a piece of property because you're a farmer and you're enlarging the size of the acreage that you're farming, you need to uh, buy a tractor or some other piece of equipment, uh, to go along with the land, maybe you're refinancing an existing loan, or uh, even if you're not a farmer, you're just building a house in the country or making improvements to a, a private piece of property you've got, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Good Monday afternoon. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. That's how you can text the show, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. So glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Borky, what's up? Oh, just taking care of business on a Monday, I guess. There you go. Uh, and enjoying the NBA playoffs, I'm sure, I'm assuming. Yeah, yesterday was great, and then it parlayed into a really good Game of Thrones episode as well. So the transition from... I, I only got to watch the uh, the Toronto game yesterday. I had something going on in the afternoon, but got to watch the, the Toronto game, got to see Kawhi hit the shot, and then turn it into a Game of Thrones watch. It was a pretty good night for me, not going to lie. From dunks to dragons. Oh, yeah. Or, or, or something like that, right? Yeah, NBA was awesome. I did not catch the dragon part. I was cool with the basketball, though. Rippy, what's up? Not much. Hey, Dad, how are you on a Monday? I only caught the dragons part. I didn't catch any of the dunks. So, really? But I'm very good other than that. It's funny. I talked to Borky about halfway through Game of Thrones, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was on. He's like, it's fine. I'll pause it. No big deal. He's like, it's a kind of a crummy episode anyway. But then apparently it got better at the end. Oh, and then it turned, buddy. Okay. Well, I'm glad I was able to give you a break from the uh, the bad part of it so that you could uh, roll into the rest of it. Um, you can tweet the show at Sports Talk, M-I-S-S. We've got some guests coming up this afternoon. As always, they will appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We had baseball this weekend. We'll get into the uh, full breakdown of the weekend series in Oxford, Mississippi State, getting the sweep over Ole Miss to improve to 42-10 and on the year Mississippi State uh, winning, uh, sweeping uh, a series in Oxford for the second consecutive time. They did that in 2017 as well. Bulldogs have got Louisiana Tech on Tuesday night, and then they host South Carolina for the final three games of the regular season. Ole Miss has their final four games of the regular season on the road. They go to Jonesboro to take on Arkansas State on Tuesday night, and then we'll go straight from there to Knoxville for a three-game series with Tennessee that has... 
I guess, more meaning than anybody could have imagined just, uh, oh, I don't know, three, four, five days ago. And uh, Southern Miss, after dropping two of three uh, this weekend on the road to Rice, uh, is in a tie for first place at the top of the Conference USA standings, but they are tied with Florida Atlantic, who beat them two out of three, four games this week for Southern Miss. They've got Middle Tennessee on Tuesday night, and then they host UAB uh, this weekend to close out the regular season. A bunch to get to, but certainly don't want to bury the lead. What a uh, what a weekend, hey Dad, for Mississippi State in Oxford. A close game on Friday night where Ethan Small and Jared Liebelt were absolutely fantastic. Uh, trailing, uh, I guess it was a close game through seven innings, or at least through six innings on Saturday. In fact, Mississippi State was trailing going into the seventh and then blew things wide open. And then yesterday it was uh, early in the ball game where they blew things wide open. Yeah, I felt like State won three Excuse me. Three different kind of games this weekend. They, they, like you mentioned, the Friday night was a pitching duel. Uh, I thought Etheridge pitched pretty well, but like you said, Small and Lee Belt coming out of that fog delay, which is a first for me, by the way. Uh, yeah. Is that first for you? I mean, you've covered a lot more games than I have. Uh, yeah, it's the first one that I remember. I mean, at the SEC tournament last year, you had a game that was postponed to the next day because of a fog delay. But as far as like I was broadcasting a game and we take a break because of the fog, yeah, first yeah. time. Yeah, I'm sure the Giants announcers have more uh, experience with that. Uh, and then, you know, like he's mentioned on Saturday, a game where State had to come from behind two times uh, to, to get the lead and, and finally hold on to it. And then Sunday, the bat showed up there in that fourth inning, and then they were just – they sort of cruised to victory. Ole Miss tried to make it interesting a couple of times late, but uh, for the most part, State was in control of that game uh, start to finish. The ball that um... – Oh, I don't even remember who hit it. So Ole Miss was down ten to five and had first and second with two outs. Servidio with that was it? Servidio, I believe that's off right. the bat. Did it look like that ball had a chance yes. to go out? I, well, I, I, thought I, thought that, it, I don't know about I, thought go it was out. I was going to say go into the gap for a double. Uh, yeah, what, was it Mangum that caught it? Whoever Man, it was uh, covered who a, else? a lot of ground. It was who else? Yeah, Jake Mangum uh, ended up not got crashing into the wall, but had to go into the wall just to, to slow his momentum down. Uh, but, but, yeah, off the bat, I thought that's trouble. Uh, it could have got it. I was really – of all the things that surprised me this weekend, no home runs between these two teams with the power hitters they have in, in Oxford, which is a park that, you know, usually you can have some power in. To not have one home run was very surprising. Yeah, I, I would agree. In fact, I, I remember thinking that somewhere late in Saturday's game that you know you were closing in on 18 innings and what 36 at bats between the two teams over the course of uh, of two games, and not one ball had left the yard. It was yeah. kind of a uh, and, and there was a... got close to one. McNamee got close to one. Um, I think Dillard had a couple of, of good shots, but nothing cleared the wall. Yeah, and I think it was, what, first at bat of the Saturday game, Tanner Allen, uh, Mississippi State, one, two, went one, two, three in the first, and he hit one to straightaway center field that got to the yeah. edge of the warning track. Yeah, uh, But, no, it was not a weekend when um, when uh, balls were leaving the yard, but no shortage of hits, uh, especially for Mississippi State. 42 hits over the course of the three games. I thought the story on Saturday um, – uh, you know, outside the the big inning where where Mississippi State blew it open, was the production out of the bottom three in their lineup. Um, at one point, and I don't have the the my scorecard in front of me right this second, but at one point late in the ball game, the bottom three in the order had been on eight, base eight of twelve times, which is yeah. pretty darn impressive. Especially you look at Marshall Gilbert on Saturday didn't have a plate appearance technically because he was he got on base four times. He had two walks and two hit by pitches. 
Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's that's the kind of production you want, especially when that guy's batting ninth. So if he's on base, it means Jake Mangum's coming up behind him with somebody on base, and usually that means, you know, you're going to score a run. That's why State got the uh, the final run of the game on Sunday as well, a, a two-out double from uh, from Gilbert turned into a uh, RBI double by Mangum. I think yesterday the two teams that combined, I don't know how it finished. I know at one point they were 12 of 27 hitting with two outs, That is, and State was 7 of 10. That is how you win baseball games. When you're hitting with two outs like that, that's and, and then look at State's rally, that, that nine-run rally. All of it started with two outs and nobody on. That That's that's really impressive, in my opinion. That's two weekends in a row where Ole Miss has seen an opposing team with two outs in an inning put together a big rally. LSU did it on Sunday last weekend with nobody on, two out, in the bottom of the ninth inning trailing by six, and then Mississippi State yesterday what it was the uh, was it the fourth inning is that right fourth or the fifth fourth, yeah, it was the fourth, yeah, fourth inning bullpen has struggled to get people out Friday was I thought in terms of Miller was in a little bit of anomaly he was bothered more so by the rain like he, he said he couldn't get a grip on his curveball was leaving it up and then was having trouble like planting which like not really an excuse because everybody's obviously playing in the same conditions but like he came back out and pitched better on Sunday. For Caracy, that's a little more concerning because that's two times in a row he's gotten popped around the yard pretty good. But, yeah, they're a bullpen that was, albeit thinly spread, but pretty good for the first couple months, has gotten tagged pretty good the last couple weeks. You know, I I thought, I I agree with what you're saying about Austin Miller, but it wasn't to me just that he couldn't throw the curveball effectively. It was the compounding effect of falling behind in the count because he couldn't throw the curveball for a strike and then all of a sudden you've got to throw an 89-mile-an-hour fastball on a predictable count, and he left a couple out over the plate, and Mississippi State just punished it. Yeah, and that was uh, that was obviously the difference in the game. I said, yeah, I said Friday. I meant Saturday. But yeah, Saturday's same game. Same thing. Um, Ethan Small on, on Friday to kind of start the series, because I thought Will Etheridge was, was pretty good also. I mean, Etheridge goes, what, six innings and gives up two runs in a game. When you get that kind of a performance from your Friday night starter, you certainly expect to have a chance to win. And I guess Ole Miss did have a chance to win in the game. But Ethan Small goes five innings. His outing's cut short because of the fog delay. Ten strikeouts. And really just dominant. And the thing, Haydad, that's so interesting to me about Ethan Small, he doesn't he doesn't do a whole lot. It's like 80, maybe 85% fastballs. Yeah. He just moves the fastball around pretty well. He has great mo- movement on his fastball and the, the, decept- the deceptiveness, deception of his motion, where he'll pause for a second in that leg kick, pause two seconds sometimes. He just does a great job of keeping hitters off balance. He can throw the fastball, throw the breaking stuff, but he, he does a great job with his motion and his leg kick to keep hitters from being able to time things up. And that's how he's been so effective this year, and that's why he's you know leading the nation in strike or leading the uh, SEC in strikeouts. Spin rate on the fastball is incredibly high. Ole Miss did not see it very well at all. Yeah, that's true. Richard and Wiggins on the text line. I assume he's talking about Jake Mangum. He says, "Explain to me how a guy can play college baseball for nine years." That's <laughs> <laughs> what it kind of feels like. We'll break down all three games from the weekend when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Monday afternoon with you. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. You can text the show on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. 
1-800-636-9595. Question comes in. Do you guys think it's time for Ole Miss to move on from Bianco? It kind of had that Andy Kennedy feel to it. If if we can, we can. I'm just saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put that question on hold. Table for, it for three weeks. Well, I, maybe that's a fair thing to say, for table the question for three weeks. I understand that that's a conversation that's going on, and it's one certainly that, that we can have. Let's just do justice to the series that just happened first before we get into that. Maybe we'll do it later this afternoon. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. But I, I know that's a question that people are, are talking about. It's it's something that's out there. Um, it's just not something that you can unpack in five minutes and, and come to, to an answer on one way or the other. I don't know, maybe some people think you can unpack it in five minutes and come to an answer. Maybe some think it won't even uh, take that long. Um, so we'll get to that. Let's uh, let's kind of walk through the three games, though, uh, first. By the way, uh, Scott Berry scheduled to join us coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Also going to talk with Scott Foxhall, the uh, pitching coach from Mississippi State. His guys out of the pen, and certainly the starters, were, uh, were really, really good. Uh, this weekend. Game one, Mississippi State gets a run in the third inning, a run in the fifth inning, limited scoring in that first ball game. Ethan Small, five innings, three hits, one walk, ten strikeouts in the game. He threw just 82 pitches in five innings and certainly would have gone longer if not for a uh, half an hour fog delay that started at like 1025. Uh, so the game was delayed. The start of the game was delayed two hours. You play about two hours, have a half an hour delay, and they uh, elected to go to Jared Liebelt out of the bullpen. You know, it's hey, Dad, you, you look at those two guys, and they're very different pitchers, but they were both dominant in their own way. Ethan Small with the strikeouts, he had 122 going into the game, adds 10 more to that category. Uh, I think only... I think it's only now 19 walks for the entire season. I think he had 18 going into game one, so he only had one walk in the game. Um, Jared Liebelt, only two strikeouts in four innings of work, and he gave up three hits. He just lived at the bottom of the strike zone and got ground ball after ground ball out. Liebelt is one of the most interesting stories because a season ago, you're talking about a guy whose ERA was over 13. He was literally the last pitcher off the bench. He was the guy that... The game is out of hand one way or the other, and we just need somebody to eat an inning or two. You never saw him come in in a clutch, must-get-out-of-this-situation. And now he might be State's most reliable reliever. Uh, as Like you said, he has become a ground ball machine. You just can't elevate the ball on him. He gets great movement on his pitches. He's similar to Small in that it's, the stuff's not overpowering, 89, 90, 91 with the fastball, but they get such great movement on it, and they, they keep the ball down. And that's what he was able to do. He got you know that clutch double play in the eighth inning, uh, and just was able to you know keep control of the game in a game that you're right that Small probably would have gone seven innings, maybe even eight, uh, depending on it. You know his his pitch count gets elevated because he's a strikeout pitcher. He doesn't get a lot of of outs besides the uh, the strikeout. I think I saw a stat that of the batters he's faced this year, he struck out 45 percent of them. Um, and I mean that, that's yeah. You think about how many outs you normally get in a game. To get that percentage of strikeouts is large. But, yeah, those two guys were really, really good, and they, they, they set MSU up for success the rest of the weekend. Well, and that percentage for Ethan Small on Friday night was, what, 67%? Yeah, 10 out of 15, so, yeah. Lee Belt gets a strikeout with the first batter that he faces, then he gets a fly ball out, gave up a single, and then Gray Kessinger got picked off. In the seventh inning, three ground ball outs. 
in the eighth inning, back-to-back singles to start the inning, and then he gets a strikeout and a ground ball double play, and then in the ninth inning it was ground out, fly out, ground out. So just really efficient. And Ole Miss, you know, outside the eighth inning, really didn't threaten. Um, you know, first and second, nobody out in the eighth inning, down two, and Ole Miss elected to try and bunt in that situation with Justin Bench, who was making his first start of the season. Couldn't Coming get the bunt off a down. Broken hand. Yeah, could couldn't get the bunt down and bunted it foul for a strikeout. Yeah. You got six outs left. You only needed five. Makes sense to give one away. Especially because and I know it's it's major league baseball data, but I'm sure it's very similar in college. The difference between first and second with nobody out and second and third with one out is virtually even with your run scoring probability. I know that's that's a lot of math stuff, but over time, the numbers bear it out that there is no difference in your ability to score just from an overall statistical standpoint between first and second with nobody out and second and third with one person out. The numbers Set, don't bear it out. Setting the table for the nine hole, who I believe Jacob Adams was pinch hitting. Well, maybe the question would be, if you didn't want to bunt there, would you have been better off pinch hitting Jacob Adams for Justin Bench? Um, with first and second and nobody out. Adams hits and hits a lot of ground balls, so probably not. Which is what he ended up doing. He grounded into a but, double play. Why in the next not? At bat. If you want, if you don't feel confident in Bench's ability to get the bunt down, because like you said, he has the hand injury. Why not pinch hit and and bunt? Have the pinch hitter never bunt, bunt hit dingers. <laughs> <laughs> Literally never bunt. I mean, there there are very few acceptable scenarios to bunt the ball. You you can bunt the ball in the ninth inning if one run wins the game. If it's first and second, no outs. It's four four. You're at the bottom of the ninth. Whatever. One run effectively ends the game. Okay, then bunt. That way you got two chances at a fly ball or a hit or whatever. But like. You're and that, playing, that's if you run got a runner at you're second. You're playing to score one run when you're down two. Yeah. Well, I mean, are you playing to score one run when, when you're putting guy? You're, you're hoping to have guys second and third, and yeah, you got the nine hitter coming up. But if he can put the ball into play, you're going to score a run, and then you got top of the order up, hopefully with a man on third. But why are you giving away an out when you're down? I, mean, I, I don't. Runs? I don't disagree with you on, on that. But I, I, when when they, you know, I I think I told you this afterwards as we were walking to the car. I said, yeah, I didn't have the information about Bench coming off the, the injury, but I know that from the state perspective, when we were sitting there first and second and nobody out, we all thought, okay, they should bunt here. I thought the percentages made sense, at least. It was explained after the game that it was a bunt situation. Bunt situations do not exist. Game two, uh, I, well, I guess let's put a bow on game one. Uh, Will Etheridge, six innings, six hits, two earned runs, four strikeouts, two walks. He was pretty good. Houston Roth out of the bullpen was really good. Three innings, two hits, did not allow a run and had three strikeouts. So Ole Miss pitched it well enough to, to win. They just couldn't do anything with Mississippi State's pitchers and couldn't score any runs. So Mississippi State gets game one, two to nothing. So it's a close win to start the series, and you feel like, okay, maybe you're about to have another close game in game two. And you did for a little while. Um, Ole Miss jumped out to a one to nothing lead in the bottom of the first inning. Mississippi State scored. Oh, geez, I'm looking at the uh, the same box score two in a row. That's going to be hard to uh, to make it happen on the. Uh, I printed the wrong thing off. Uh, all right, so game two. Here we go. So Ole Miss gets out to. A two to nothing lead in the bottom of the first inning, and I guess we probably ought to stop there because you had something that happened in the bottom of the first inning that 
I don't know if it changes the outcome of the game or if it changes the way the game is played, but at minimum, Ole Miss would have had a 3 nothing lead and potentially could have had more than that. You have a runner's interference call between first and second, and it was an incorrect call, but it ended the inning and was a really big play in the ballgame, holding Ole Miss to just two runs in the first. Yeah, because all that damage came with two outs. Like, again, retired the first two batters, then just couldn't find the strike zone. Um, probably the lost part of that is Jacob Adams swinging away at 2-0 when Ginn couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat at that point. Like, he was really struggling to find the strike zone. But, yeah, it's a ground ball. The Obviously, Foscue boots the ball and then runs it into Graham, and that's they called runner's interference. Obviously, that's not the correct call because the contact happened after he booted the ball. He never touched it. The ball scooted under his glove, never actually touched it, just Point missed being, it. The ball was past him yeah. when the contact happened. Uh, and then that's, I mean, that was as upset as I've seen Mike Bianco in a while, and he got a very long leash and presumably got the long leash because they, guy, the guy appeared to immediately know he blew the call. But, but there, there's nothing you can do about it. There's yeah. nothing you can do about it. That's a weird, that's a weird thing, I guess, to not be able to replay, like given some of the other replays that like, kind of came up throughout the weekend. But at the end of the day, Ole Miss had And a there four- were a lot of them. Yeah, yeah and Ole Miss, but at the end of the day, Ole Miss had a four-two lead in the seventh, and the bullpen didn't hold it. Yeah, so but it, it would Miss- have been it would have been four nothing if that play doesn't happen. And then, like you mentioned, Richard, I mean, at that point, you could legitimately think Ginn might not have made it out of the first inning at that point. And instead, what happened is he gets out of the first inning, and from that point on, he was pretty solid all the way into the fifth. Retired nine in a row after that, but that was yeah. actually the biggest thing I was left wondering after the game is like if that didn't happen, does Ginn make it out of the first because he was in some some deep water? He probably makes Couldn't throw it strikes. Out. Yeah, I mean, but he yeah. probably he probably all likelihood makes it out of the first and then settles down. And it's just sitting on the bench. Got lead, but. was the best thing for him to get out of that inning. He was able to refocus and get and like he said, make the next nine go down. He went single walk, single single walk. In five consecutive hitters with two outs in the first inning, and then he got the uh, uh, the good fortune of that uh, runner's interference call. It got him out of the inning. It was really, really good. Ended up going uh, four and two thirds in the ball game and struck out five. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy, Michael Borky in the studio. Scott chimes in on the C Spire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Made that name up actually. Stan, not Scott, Stan and Ripley. Says, don't forget to give a shout out to Delta State Baseball, another Gulf South Conference championship and start of the South Regional on May 16th. So that's coming up later this week. Another great season. I played there in the early 90s. Sometimes they get overlooked. Yeah, you're right. They do sometimes, and that's not fair. That is an incredible program. Uh, that continues to uh, play extremely well. First game in the NCAA South Regional is on Thursday against Embry-Riddle. Embry-Riddle University out of Florida, and uh, that game will be in Cleveland. So uh, hosting the NCAA South Regional after um, uh, another good season for uh, Delta State. 39-12, and they went 20-9 in Gulf South Conference play, have won four in a row. They're 18-6 at home this year, uh, so certainly good to have that South Regional there in Cleveland. Embry Riddle sounds you. like a millennial baby name. Embry Riddle? It's like a hospital, doesn't it? Something you'd see on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. 
I bet Mike Kennison is not on Instagram, by the way. If we get him on this week, like I'm hoping, that, that needs to be the first thing you ask him. Coach, uh, what's your social media presence like? <laughs> Tell me about your Instagram page. What about yeah. the new Snapchat filter? You like that? RPI, after this weekend's games. New number one, that is Vanderbilt. UCLA drops to number two. Mississippi State is third in the RPI, followed by Georgia and then East Carolina. Arkansas, six. Uh, Georgia Charmin Tech is at number seven. <laughs> you guys like that, right? Uh, I'm kind of stuck with that at this point now. Yeah, Yeah, and when they go to Omaha, it's going to be tough sledding for you, buddy. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Um, I was using the the Charmin Soft moniker for Georgia Tech based on past results. Maybe they've they've turned the page. We'll see. Uh, Maybe you rallied them. Georgia Tech at 7, Louisville at 8. Texas Tech did not play this weekend. They're at 9. Tennessee wins the series in Gainesville. Take 2 of 3 after losing the first one in Pretty heartbreaking fashion. They still sit at number 10 in the RPI. Then it's Oklahoma State, Miami, Texas A&M, Missouri at 14. UC Santa Barbara. Is there a a scenario where Missouri could play themselves into a hosting spot? Who do they have this weekend? Eh, Hold on just a second. By the way, Ole Miss falls to 28 in the RPI, so a pretty precipitous fall for the Rebels uh, after being swept over the uh, over the weekend. Florida are, or Missouri? They are at home with Florida. If they take a couple of games, maybe win one in Hoover, yeah, they could get that 16th site. Which is crazy. Take that, NCAA. Yeah, oh. I was about to say, that would be, like, if you talk about a rooting interest in this whole thing, that would be hilarious. Go Tigers. Like, if, can you imagine if they made it to Omaha? And like, obviously, this is far-fetched and somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but if they won the whole thing, would that go with with an appeal as to whether they're eligible for the postseason or not going on? <laughs> Do you think the NCAA would start moving more quickly? I mean, you can't, like, like, you, like even if they reach the decision at the Super Regional, you can't just be, like, forfeit, can you? I don't. I don't think so. They, I mean, they, if you they, drop the decision and uphold it, all of a sudden you're ineligible for postseason play. I would just continue showing up at whatever ballpark was hosting the event <laughs> until someone told two me. Two outs to stop. in the ninth, two strikes on the hitter to go to Omaha. Breaking news: you're ineligible. How about this? Missouri is thirteen, thirteen, and one. What if that stupid travel delay rule ended up costing them a regional host spot? Well, their ten fans will be devastated. <laughs> Careful, that, 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 that joke is is already copyrighted for another fan base that I can't use anymore. But still, do what? Nothing. Wait, which one? Oh, 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 that one. What are we talking about here? I've lost. We're moving forward, is what we're doing. Okay. Um. So Missouri thirteen thirteen and one. So if they got. Let's say they sweep Florida this weekend to get to 16-13-1. They should have. And they have an RPI of 12. They're a host, right? They got to be, yeah. That would be absolutely insane. What about Ole Miss on the hosting front? I mean, a week ago we're talking about Ole Miss you know, in good shape to host. Yeah, you know, they probably need to go three and three over their final three games. Well, they've dropped the first three. 
Do you still hold true that three and three? I mean, a sweep against Tennessee that puts them at eighteen. Is that enough? Yeah, because Colin was showing me some projection earlier that even two at Tennessee would get their RPI down to the seventeen eighteen range. So three and they're back in it. Obviously, they got all kinds of issues going on as to whether they can get to three or not. But they'd have to go three or two and make some serious noise in Hoover. So, so you think two win? Let's say they win this series at Tennessee. They got to go win what? Two more? Or you think three more in Hoover? Saturday. As far as you can go, maybe the title game. I'm not sure. Just to be a host? Yes. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. One hour in the book. Winners and losers when we come back. Hour in the book. Start of the 4 o'clock hour with you. Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. About 15 minutes from right now, Scott Foxhall will join us, pitching coach at Mississippi State. We'll talk with him about the weekend in Oxford and look forward to the closing weekend of the regular season against South Carolina. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. You can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Mississippi Land Bank has got locations across North Mississippi. Their corporate offices are in Senatobia, branch office there as well, plus Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, stop by any of those locations or just go to the website, mslandbank.com. You can click on the Contact tab and find a phone number or request um, that a loan officer contact you for whatever your needs are. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Just after 4 o'clock on Monday, that means it's time for winners and losers. All I I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, winners and losers. First up, yesterday was Mother's Day. Moms, you are the biggest winners of all of them. You carry a kid for nearly nine months. You go through the birth process, which is not exactly the most comfortable thing. You love them. You raise them. In a lot of cases, you have to baby the dads along the way, too, and kind of clean up after their messes. You work in the home. Some of you work outside the home. You just do it all. Moms, you are the best. You are the big winners for all of us. After that... I'm talking kind of generically here, and Hey Dad may want to drill down a little closer on here. I'm just saying, in a big picture sense, Mississippi State, this is just an impressive baseball team. They're coming off an impressive weekend where they get the sweep against Ole Miss, and it's important because it's a rivalry and all that good stuff. But beyond it being important for a rivalry, it's important because it puts them in position to host as a national seed and gives them the best opportunity to get to Omaha again. And given what the last four years are like, it's pretty remarkable um, that Mississippi State's got a chance to go to Omaha again, and they got a chance to get to a Super Regional for the third consecutive year. I, I think this team is built not just to potentially get to Omaha, but not, I mean, based on what I've seen from Mississippi State, 
That's a team that can win the College World Series. And obviously, you got to have some breaks go your way along the way, and you need the matchups to be right, and you, you don't need to have an off day. But this Mississippi State baseball team sitting at 42-10 and 10 with four games left in the regular season, they're really good. They're on the winner's list. Forky, yeah. what have you got? Figured you guys were going to take care of the baseball series, so I'll say quiet stars. The NBA is all about flashy and Instagram and, and who's going where and all of this stuff. Attention is so often paid on off-the-court stuff like LeBron James's HBO show, and the guys that are left are the guys that do it and do it quietly. Kawhi Leonard, the robot, made a game winner last night, the most improbable game winner I may have ever seen with it hitting the rim four separate times before it fell in. He's been incredible these playoffs. C.J. McCollum was excellent. Damian Lillard, we've talked about him on the show before. Giannis is a guy that just goes about his business and plays good basketball, and that's who's left. The non-flashy, the guys that just shut up and go to work and play good ball, and it's good to see these kind of people get the stage that they've gotten because the NBA has strayed far away from actual basketball into drama, and these guys don't have drama. They just play really good ball, so it's been fun to watch them. Well, hold on. Draymond's still left. He's got some drama. Yeah, and I excluded the Warriors for a reason. I want them to lose so bad it's do. not even funny. But, yeah, those those guys don't get the attention they deserve, and it's good to see them winning at a high level. Give me a winner, hey, Dad. Chris Lamonis is my winner. Um, you know, you go back to when he was hired and there was all the, the, the smoke about Jim Schlossnagel and Dan McDonald and other candidates and should Gary Henderson stay on. And Chris Lamont sort of came out of nowhere. Nobody had ever heard of him. So, you know, you wondered how this was going to go. And all this guy has done is punch all of the right buttons all season for Mississippi State. He's made some some lineup changes here and there. He's, he's found some new guys to, to come on board. And, of course, the other guys who, you know, we needed to take a step forward have done so under him. And right now, and I plan to talk about this on tomorrow's podcast, I mean, he's got to be the SEC coach of the year, doesn't he? I I would think he would be a lock for that, especially when, and we'll talk about this in just a moment on my loser part of this, you know, where this team was predicted in some quarters. So Lamonis has has become the steadying influence this program needed as, as as the fourth head coach in four seasons. Rippy, give me a winner. So I've got I've got a bit of a random one, but this made me laugh pretty hard. A guy named Ricky Padilla. Um, so the Padres yesterday <laughs> the Padres this. yesterday <laughs> as a hat tip to moms changed their Twitter account from the Padres to the Madres. And as soon as that happened, a Twitter user named Ricky Padilla <laughs> immediately changed his Twitter handle to Padres, essentially hijacking it from a professional baseball team. And I think it got taken out of his hands. Like I think Twitter like changed it back for him because I'm pretty sure the Padres were fairly upset that their Twitter handle was now gone to some random dude. But that's a power move to notice that and just jack a handle. I hope he got some free tickets out of it, but power move. Yeah, you would think they should do something, right, to compensate him? Yeah, like if, if I'm DMing the Padres over that, I'm like, eh, you gave Machado $300 million, I'll go three hundred grand. get your name back. Then probably whittle it down to free tickets or something cool. Yeah, it's not extortion, is it? That's capitalism. Uh, it's negotiation. It's finding That's what America a, was built on. I would call that good business. Yeah. Um, well, two other winners quickly for you. The Ole Miss softball team is hosting a regional for the second time in three years. It's also the second time in the history of forever that they have hosted a softball regional. And uh, so congratulations to Mike Smith and that team. They are the number 11 seed, and they are paired up with Arizona if they were to make it to a super regional, likely on the road. And John Beeline, 
Name today the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't really care other than I think if you're 66 years old and somebody is willing to sign you to a five-year contract that is worth $50 million, again, negotiation, hat tip, you're a winner. Nice job, John Beeline. 60's the new 40 anyway. Yeah. What's 66? Well, 66 is the new 46, I guess. Fair enough. Uh, Losers. Mason High School in Mason, Ohio. You may have seen this story uh, over the weekend. Mason High School students will no longer uh, compete for the valedictorian and salutatorian distinctions in their high school. They will no longer recognize academic success at Mason High School in order to, quote, reduce the overall competitive culture, end quote, between students at this school. We are collectively losing our minds. Life is a very long competition, and you're measured by how good you are at something in your job and also in your relationships. The fact that we can't even recognize a valedictorian anymore is a slippery slope that I don't... I'm just terrified of society going down. You think they'll, like, give them all necklaces and hang participation trophies off those necklaces so that everybody the can colleges have one. they apply to won't how do they yeah that's a good point that's a good point you may be reducing competition but you know what else you've done you've also robbed some of your kids of scholarship money for being a valedictorian or a salutatorian yeah an assistant good principal work. said it's uh it Okay, quote, it's about what it means to be happy and what it means to be successful and not just about the grade, about the whole child. Well, if that child goes and gets a sales job, it's about the sales and not about how good of a person they are. And if they don't sell, they don't keep the job. And it's like that in every field in America. It's just, I can't believe adults are making these kind of decisions. You blame us millennials all you want to. This is you guys that are doing this. Mason, Ohio is a nice place, too. Is it? Yeah. Cincinnati suburb? Yeah, about 45 minutes out, have a like really good developmental complex, although I don't know how much use that's going to get put to if they're reducing the competitive nature. They might just need to axe the baseball fields as well. Might, uh, might want to get rid of those. How about the Preakness? The Preakness is a loser. It's the second leg of the Triple Crown, and it has been rendered meaningless this year because of what happened at the Kentucky Derby. The disqualification of maximum security, he said, I'm out. And Country House also has announced that he won't run... I- it wasn't necessarily in a press conference. I think somebody announced for Country House that he wouldn't run. <laughs> in Horse proxy. Mr. Ed and, and whatnot. So uh, the, I guess the Preakness will just be a big old party that nobody really cares about this year. Mine was the other 13 SEC coaches because they voted Mississippi State to finish sixth in the division. They're probably going to finish third in the conference and have a chance to finish second. The window's open for that. Uh, you can put that chip on your shoulder and ride it and use it to your advantage. I guess so. You get a loser? You get 20 seconds. Uh, Houston Rockets, that's a pretty brutal look. Don't really know how you come back from that. Sports Talk Mississippi, those are your winners and losers. Scott Foxhall joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Mississippi. Hey, 
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We're joined today by Mississippi State pitching coach Scott Foxhall. Bulldogs sweeping Ole Miss in Oxford this weekend. And, Coach, appreciate a, uh, a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Great weekend. Thank you. Good afternoon, guys. I appreciate being on with you guys. If we could, let's kind of let's kind of go in reverse order. Uh, I certainly look forward to talking about Ethan Small and, and Jared Lebel, but let's start with with yesterday's ball game and what you got out of Peyton Plumley, who really has kind of evolved even as the season has has gone along in that third starter role. What is it that has kind of allowed him to take it to the next level? Well, it's been a, a couple of different things. You know, um, I think uh, a few weeks ago when he first started. To emerge in that role, he was trusting his fastball a lot more, and, and uh, he's got a really good sinking fastball and, and pitches to contact. And I think he just started trusting it, and instead of trying to miss bats all the time, he, he understood that you know if he got some contact early in the count, and, and um, that was a good thing, and let our defense play behind him, and he started to get weak contact because his fastball is good, and that that was the first step, and then. Um, he has uh, evolved over the um, last couple of weeks to where he can really throw his off-speed pitches for strikes, and that was the X factor yesterday. He had a really good changeup with a heavy left-handed lineup that he was able to to throw um, a bunch of changeups that that helped him um, get through those middle to late innings. I think that was the key for him yesterday was that pitch. Is there anything to the idea, Scott, of when you got a guy like Ethan Small who strikes out everybody at the top of the rotation, and then JT Ginn, who's got big strikeout numbers, feeling like you're supposed to strike out a bunch of guys and kind of having to become comfortable with who you are as a pitcher? Yeah, I think I think that's a really good assessment. I think that you know when you have those two guys at the front of the rotation on Friday and Saturday, and like you said, they're they're putting up those big numbers, and and maybe you try to be somebody that you're not, and and maybe that was what was going on with um, Peyton early. But I think he's really comfortable in his own skin now and knows what he's about, and that's pitching the contact and trusting our defense and. Um, you know, he, he, he's got the ability to strike guys out if, if he gets in jams, but, um, you know, getting the leadoff guy out and putting the ball in play and keeping your pitch count low, that's that's been his formula the last few weekends, and it's been a good one for us. So that was a, a win yesterday to wrap up the sweep. On, on Saturday, uh, JT again gets in some trouble early, gives up a couple of runs, you end up with the, the interference call that, that gets him out of the, the inning. You'd been out to visit with him. How how close was JT to not making it out of that first inning versus what he ultimately was able to do, kind of kind of settle in and then really pitch well? Well, I, I don't know how close he was to being out of the first inning, but um, his pitch count was definitely getting high, and and uh, it's something that we always watch. You know, the pitch counts um, in a game, but also in an inning is is a big thing. So, um, you know, he was a, he was getting into. 30 that you know approaching 30 in that first inning so there, there's no doubt he was in, in a little bit of trouble and in jeopardy and not making it out but uh, I think the biggest thing JT we talked about when I went out to the mound is just be who you are and and uh you know sometimes when you're uh this is kind of what we talked about with Peyton too sometimes when you have a week to think about your opponent and you scout them and you watch film and you go man I can't make this pitch to this guy and I need to, to do this on this guy and you turn into instead of 
you, you turn into a guy that's trying to pitch to the hitter's weaknesses instead of pitching to your strengths. And we just talked about let's go back to pitching to your strengths and attacking guys, and, and you be who you are. You're, you're JT again. They need to adjust to you. You don't need to adjust to them. And I think that's what he did in, in you know the second inning on in his outing, and that's why he was a lot better. Yeah, and I've not seen him pitch a lot this year. I guess this was only the second time I'd seen him in person this season. And he strikes me as a guy that kind of pitches with a little bit of an edge. And it looked like he lost that in the first inning. But then in the second inning, his his body language and his demeanor was drastically different than it was in the first inning. Did, did you see that also? No question. We did. We talked about it in the dugout. Hey, you be the aggressor. Um I think he was just a little tentative. Like I said, they're first pitch swingers, and they've got some physical hitters in their lineup. And it, it is something that you're aware of as a pitcher that, hey, they can do damage on one swing. Um, and I think he was a, just a little passive in the first inning. He, he became the aggressor um, after that, and that's when it turned the corner for him. The uh, the first game of the series, as we, we kind of rewind from end of the series to the beginning, Ethan Small um, – Ends up going five innings, ten strikeouts. So sixty-seven percent of these the outs that he records in five innings are are strikeouts, and he just seems to pitch. It it almost looks effortless. I mean, I know it's not effortless, but it kind of has that appearance. It, it, do you see that? I mean, is that part of the the kind of changing his delivery times? And I, I know it's trying to get in the heads of, of hitters, but it, he looks really comfortable on the mound. Well, he is. He's confident, and and. Uh... He is so fun to watch and has just been a pleasure to coach. And he's just an experienced ace in, in the SEC. He's an experienced ace in the, in the best league in the country. And, um, you know, that's, that, he, he's very talented, no question. And he's very, he's, he has a high baseball IQ, a high pitching IQ. And, you know, you hear about analytics and, and, um, you know, all of the, the new movement in, in baseball and, and, uh, Ethan's very in tune with those things, and, and he understands. Um, Are we talking spin rate? Well, you know, Ethan is. Um, he, he if you do the spin rate, he's not the the highest spin rate guy. Even though he gets swings and misses on his fastball, his his are some other analytics. His are some extension. Um, is his big analytics? So um, he lets the ball go out in front of his body a lot for a lot um, farther than than most pitchers. So. Um, you know, his 92 miles an hour fastball is getting released a lot closer to home plate than most guys. So his 92 mile an hour fastball can look like 98 to a hitter because of his extension. Um, and then he has a thing called vertical break, which is basically when the pitcher lets go of it, um, the human eye thinks it's going to drop so much because of gravity and because of um, the angle to the plate, his doesn't drop as much as everybody else's because he puts so much backspin on the ball. So it's not necessarily the spin rate, but it's his ability to keep that ball elevated. And the hitter thinks it's about belly button high, and really it's chest high when it gets to the plate. And so the guys are swinging under his ball all the time. Um, and and that's where he gets his swings and misses. If you watch him, the the hitter just thinks it's high, thinks it's lower than it is. It's just higher um, in reality than it than uh, what the the eye perceives it to be. And that's why I think he's got one of the best fastballs in the draft, if not the best fastball in the draft. And most people go off of velocity when you talk about fastball. But um, 
more important than velocity is the swing and miss rate, and his swing and miss rate is um, very impressive for his fastball. Coach, it's Brian Haydad. Let's talk about the second half of that Friday game and Jarrett Leebelt. That's a guy who a season ago, we were talking about it earlier, but he struggled. There's no other way to put it. Going back to when you first arrived at Mississippi State and talking to him, what's been the biggest difference from him from a season ago to, to, to now? It's just been confidence, Brian. He's, uh, you know, we, we tried to get him out there as often as possible in the fall because um, we really we really liked what we saw out of him when the new staff came in and um, you know, you couldn't like his numbers from last year, but you really like um, the the talent. You like um, the velocity on the fastball. You like the arm slot. Um, I really liked the person, Jared Lee Bell, and, and thought he had really good makeup. And so we ran him out there as often as we could. He, he, he pitched way more often than anybody else in the fall, just trying to get his confidence level up. And um, to his credit, you know he's he's in charge of his confidence, and he got it he got it to where it needed to be. And I think he's just rolled with that in the spring. And and as he's had big outing after big outing and big moment after big moment for us, it's just grown. And now I don't think there's any moment that's too big for Jared Leibelt right now. I think he's confident and and can go out there and and uh, do whatever's asked of him. Hey Scott, I know you said it's not all about velocity, but I kind of like Colby White's velocity. <laughs> Now, Colby, Colby, it is a lot about velocity. Yeah, he is a flamethrower, and um, he's been fun to watch too. And, and I, I know, I know, when he goes in the game at Duty Noble, um, a lot of eyes start looking at the scoreboard for that for those velocities when after he throws well, but, his fastballs. And go ahead. Isn't the thing that that makes that fastball even that much more impressive when he's able to drop that breaking ball in, and you're expecting 94, and then all of a sudden you see 84 at the knees, and then he comes back at 94. He has been very good with that the last few outings, and, and uh, particularly on Saturday when, when he came in in that eighth inning and, and uh, we need a shutdown inning. And it just it does so much for the momentum of the game um, to not just go through um, those guys in the eighth inning, but just to dominate and get three strikeouts in a row. Mm-hmm. It just fires the team up and go, hey, we're going to finish this thing. And uh, he did a great job with that. And, and yet yeah, the, the change of speed that he's – developed over the last um, few weeks has been a great weapon for him and and been able to keep him off his fastball so um, the changeup's been good for him but he he has the best up fastball that I've coached in a long time meaning when he when he gets ahead in the count um, and he throws that fastball about letter high it's just it's like we all in little league. Our coach always said, "Don't swing at the one at your eyes," and you never <laughs> could lay off of it. And, and that's what he makes these guys look like. He makes them look like little leaguers that can't lay off that high ball. And uh, it's just a very, very good elevated fastball that Colby throws. Hey, look, Chris has been great visiting with us all season long, but uh, we may kick him out. I, I learned something when I talked to pitching coaches. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks for your time today. No problem, guys. Enjoy being with you. That's Scott Foxhall, Sports Talk Mississippi, the Renaissance Bank Studio. .fm. Orky, can you turn up the music? There we go. Sorry, I just could barely hear it. Uh, glad to have you along this afternoon. Yeah. If you want to uh, be part of the show, you can on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Let's go through a few of these. These could be fun. From Jim Dog. 14-2 and two last four years. Good friend used to say if a bullfrog had wings, it could fly. Rippy, don't rip our young pitcher. 
You're nowhere near his level, Jim Dog. Okay, well, I would say one. I haven't played baseball since I was 12, so hard to argue that one. And two, nobody was ripping him. I said he had trouble finding the strike zone in the first inning, and it was it was weird that Adam swung at that pitch at 2-0. Like, if you don't think he had trouble finding the strike zone, then A, you're either blind or you were having you had the game on the wrong channel. Like, I don't understand what is controversial about that. He walked two guys that gave up two singles. Like, how is this that hard to process? Hey, Dad. I mean, Rip is right. Hey, Dad. You, I mean, you, Kid's one of the best freshman pitchers in the country. Like, it's not a personal slight on the kid to say that he was struggling to throw strikes. Like, this kind of stuff makes me lose brain cells. Like, it makes me wonder, like, what do people watch sports? Like, do people... I'm going to go down the road. I don't need to go was, down. Was, but my God, fast. don't be dumb. Stop being dumb. Be less dumb. He's good. He started God. talking so quickly. It was funny. It's like he's on the Gilmore Girls all of a sudden. You, uh, you, you guys do realize that there's one and only one reason that I read that text message? To get him riled up? I wanted that reaction right there. Well, you got it. Cause... That's angry, Dr. Rippy, there. No, it's not even anger. It's just dismay that you, like... If that was like what you took from that, then the fact that you cobbled together a coherent text is honestly an upset. So congrats. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Jerry in Brookhaven, been in and out of the car. Has Elijah McNamee's injury been addressed? Any update there? Hey, Dad? No update from yesterday. We talked to Lamonis after the game, and he said that he didn't think it was anything major. I would be really surprised if he played tomorrow night against Louisiana Tech. No reason to, to aggravate anything, and then we'll just have to see what happens this weekend. Uh, Jeff, apparently not a fan of Mississippi State. He says, I can't stand them, but I do have to admit Mississippi State is a dang good baseball team. It appears to me that Jeff is actually not. An old Miss fan. He's a Southern Miss fan. But nevertheless. Right. Um, Take respect where you can get it. They've got, like, it, there's a culture there. I said it on my podcast this morning for whatever it's worth to you. I, I watched the Friday and Saturday game. But for the last four years, everybody's making a big deal about how they had four different coaches over four years, but the culture has remained the same. And, and you can't quantify it. Stats nerds can't put anything on it because stats nerds swear that clutch is not a thing, even though that's wrong. Um, there's something about the attitude that every player on that roster has, and it's been passed down from player, regardless <laughs> of who the coach is. And you can see it when you watch them, even on television, you can see their body language is just different than their opponent across the field in Oxford on Friday and Saturday. They act differently. They carry themselves differently. They have something that I can't describe, but you just know it's there. They have mojo. Yeah. Don't steal my mojo, baby. But seriously, they've got it. <laughs> what the French call a certain I don't know what. Yeah, here's the thing with Mississippi State, to me anyway, that when you go through what they went through at the beginning of last season, the embarrassment that they, they had to, to endure as a result of what was going on with their coach, I mean, what adversity are they going to face on the field that's going to match that? Nothing. So if they were able to turn around from that and get to Omaha – and come within, you know, a few innings of playing for a national title, being down two runs in the third inning is nothing to them. Text message, Brian H. needs to expand his life. At least he didn't say waistline. Trying to trying to decrease that. What does that even mean? 
uh, people I don't are know. being mean today, man. Uh, <laughs> Keith and Vaden, you, you just pointed out that uh, you hadn't played baseball since you were 12 years old. Keith and Vaden, that means Rippy played last year. <laughs> oh, touche. I'll give him that one. Well, well played, Keith. I'm glad the uh, age jokes have left me. Thank you, Rippy. Because oh, here we go. Five years here, it was me that got all the age stuff, ageism. Jim Dog, back at you. It was the cute remark that I thought was so sarcastic, not the fact that he was not throwing strikes. You're a little too cute about what you said. Is, this, that, is that real? I didn't make it up. <laughs> it's, okay. it's real. It's what I think I'm being trolled. Said. I'm just going to leave that one there. Did you just call Jim Dog a troll? What? Yes, I did. That's exactly what. You I, hear that, Jim Dog? Now he's talking down to you. No, Richard is now stirring the pot. Jim Dog, let's grab a beer sometime. You just told him you were losing brain cells by hearing his tweet text. Losing, and brain cells lose, together lose while drinking cell? alcohol. Exactly. So. That's, that's, um, that's the doctor right there. He understands. Grumpy Borky is rubbing off on Rippy. Oh, I don't know about that yet. Oh, I'll get there. Give me time. You think Borky's grumpy now? Wait till that baby comes. My goodness. Wait till he stops sleeping. Man, that is the the one thing that is keeping me going lately. I cannot wait. And I, I've heard all the horror stories. And every time somebody tells me, man, it, it, just wait till they turn two. It's like, I can't wait till they turn two. Are you kidding? I've, I've heard all the stories. And every time I hear somebody tell me about cleaning diapers or getting thrown up on or not sleeping, I get even more excited for some reason. It has the adverse effect on me. Weird flex, but okay. And it changes right. because I don't have one yet, so it's, you know, it'll probably change when they're here. But for now, it's not thwarting my uh, excitement. Strider in Indianola says, you can't coach talent and God-given ability. It's some special that some guys have on the team. Also, I'm the only Strider in Mississippi, and buddies give me hell every time I comment, so call me John or something. <laughs> oh, oops. Uh, my bad, Strider. <laughs> I mean, John. Uh, Trip Dog wants to know if you, uh, Rippy, could give us an Orgeron impression. Um, no, my voice isn't gravelly enough for that. If I swallowed like some rocks or something, maybe you could just headbutt Richard. I am drinking Red Bull, so I got a third of it down. What Rippy said was way better than the Ole Miss announcer calling state uniform skunks and basically talking trash. They should be better than that. I thought state uniforms were pretty good, particularly the Saturday ones. The vests? I like vests. And if you do it the right way... I'm a big, big proponent of baseball vest. Big vest well, guy. Big vest I don't, guy. I don't <laughs> think he's... Callum calling Mississippi State's outfit or uniforms trash? Wait, which that, ones? I would like to know which one. Well, no, they got to be talking about the Sunday ones. Wow, they were all black. How's that? Sc- I mean, I know skunks well, because are black. Because the color of skunks are black and white. Don't hate on the nickel chip. blacks, man. Come on. It's oh, nickel no. black Sunday. Oh, no. Uh, do, oh, that's tough. I, I didn't mind the black uniforms. Calling them nickel black, that might. that's that It's nickel black things. Sunday. They, they get, they get, I'm not making this up. They listen to nickel black, nickel back on uh, Sundays. Yeah, I, I don't know who did that. I, I'm, I'm confident that I did not say that on uh, Friday or Saturday. Although apparently there are lots of things that I did say, some of which involved a lot of research that caused all kinds of angst. And here's the thing. The angst was not isolated to one particular fan base. That's how you know you're doing your job right, when everybody hates you. I suppose. 
And when you're right down the middle with hate, it means you're perfectly balanced. So, so back to this whole skunks uniform thing. I, I got no idea what you're talking about. I'm assuming you heard that on the radio. Uh, whatever. I don't have a dog in that fight. Uh, those uniforms are terrible. The all blacks. Yes. I'm not. A They're huge not baseball uniforms. I'm not a huge fan of them, but the They're team terrible. loves them. They have not lost a Sunday game this year uh, in them. Uh, except I think they. I guess I don't know if they. No, they didn't wear them on the uh, the Arkansas series because those were played. That was played on Saturday. That is their Sunday uniform. They have not lost in them. If you ask Jake Mangum, he'll tell you we don't lose in blacks. Yeah. Well, good for them. I'm glad that they believe that. I think if they wore a different color uniform, they probably would still win on Sundays because they're a good baseball team. Uh, yeah. I'm just kind of a traditional baseball uniform guy. I'm not against. I'm not, if you I'm don't not, know that about me, you hadn't been listening. I'd like very to long. see the black though, like maybe with some gray or white pants next to. That would be altogether different. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's just uniform. their Sunday look. Yes, would, you, you don't. Baseball pants are white or gray, and light gray, not not what Vanderbilt gray, not those terrible black pants. And, and, and I guess you probably would immediately go, well, what do you think about the powder blue ones that Ole Miss would wear? Here, You know what I would do with that uniform? Can't I would lose the powder blue pants and go to a white pant with that. Or gray. Okay, I was just saying what I would do with them. You're welcome to wear gray with them if you would like. If I were doing them, I would I wear the, white pants with the powder blue tops. And I, think it I always would think of the 82 Cardinals awesome. when I see Ole Miss in those, those uniforms. Like, Talking fashion with Richard never ends well for me. I mean, I got absolutely just flamed for the zipper shirt the other day, and then now I'd suggest gray pants and just rocking his boat over there. I didn't say that there was anything wrong with that. Kelso, by the way, in Ocean Springs says, offended by sports analysis guy is the worst. Kelso, Kelso is a man of wise words. Uh, Jamie in Oxford asked about Hey Dad trolling Oxford's Chamber of Commerce. Got him! Black jersey is the second best jersey behind the gray pinstripes, even though team says all blacks are there. Oh, come on. They love them. Come on. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. At Ford, they take pride in everything they do. That's a big part of the reason why they built the best-selling truck in America for 42 consecutive years. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Stop by, tell them that Sports Talk Mississippi sent you, and you want to test drive the F-150. You can also start your search online at M. Uh, excuse me, at buyfordnow, B-U-Y, buyfordnow.com. All right, here you go, college football fix. Another marquee non-conference home-and-home has been scheduled for when cars will fly, according to Borky. Although this one's not that far off, like 12 years down the road. Texas and Florida have agreed to a non-conference home-and-home series in 2030 and 2031. The Longhorns will travel to Gainesville September 7th, 2030, and the Gators will travel to Austin the following year. Only three meetings all time between the Gators and the Longhorns, most recently back in 1940. Texas also added a home-and-home series with Arizona State. Uh, Programs have never met in the regular season, and they played just once in the 2007 Holiday Bowl. So Texas, Florida... You can look forward to that in a decade and change. So it brings up the question that I threw out just a moment ago. If you could be the scheduling czar 
and you could wave your magic wand, and not 30 years down the line, not 20 years down the line, let's say next year and the year after that, you could alter the non-conference schedule for your favorite team, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, if you like, and could play a home-and-home. You go to their place, you play them at your place. None of this neutral site nonsense. Home-and-home series with anybody, who would it be? We'll do a little roundtable to start, and then we'll go to some of the responses on the C Spire text line. Borky, how about you? Um, if you could watch Ole Miss play home-and-home, home, I mentioned Ole Miss because they're your alma mater, that's it. Home-and-home, home, who would you like to see them play? Or who would you like to see Mississippi State play home-and-home? Home? I would like to see Mississippi State play Penn State. With, okay, uh, why? Joe Moorhead uh, returning to Happy Valley and, and coaching against where he was the coordinator. I think that that's just a, a storyline that I would enjoy. Okay. Um, Syracuse, if I know you said home and home and this technically isn't home, but if you could work out where your, your game at Syracuse is at Yankee Stadium, that would be incredible. But even playing in the Carrier Dome would be – it's an ACC team. It's a team that you expect probably you should be better than and also kind of in, in an iconic venue – uh, just thinking out of the box. And then Washington, because the location of the University of Washington's football stadium is the okay. best location maybe in college football. I don't know if you've seen pictures. The new place looks mm-hmm. amazing, but, you, I mean, you've got uh, – what is it? The, the sound right there. I forget what it's called. you got it. Lake um, Washington. Right there behind it. You've got mountains everywhere. People tailgate on yachts. That, that's incredible. I've seen some responses that say Ohio State. And I, I under, I've been to an Ohio State game before. I've been to a couple, and they're a lot of fun, huge stadium. But the return trip is what should scare you away from that. Those people are like cockroaches. And I don't mean how they actually. <laughs> <laughs> they will Jeez. flood your stadium. There are more Ohio State fans among us, and you don't even realize it until you like rip your walls open and they scatter. That's what. <laughs> Hosting Ohio State is. It's ripping the walls open and they scatter everywhere. Those people I mean, what's travel. that noise? Oh, I open up the wall and there was it's an the Ohio, Ohio State, State fan, fan in there. Yeah. Um, the band's incredible, but my goodness, they travel. It, it is, it's hard to believe <laughs> what they bring to road games. And they'll ruin our beautiful towns here in the South, so you don't want them around. How do you really feel about Ohio State fans there, buddy? Dude, I grew up, I grew up like in Ohio State. I, I mean, I... Uh, I've, I've been to games there. I love it. But those people travel. It's unbelievable how many people would come to Oxford or Starfield to watch Ohio State play. They would fill up half the stadium. I'm not kidding. They would buy up right. every ticket on the secondary market. Hey, Dad, give me a home and home for Mississippi State. The University of Nevada, Las Vegas. No? Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've always wanted to play uh a Pac-10 or Pac-12 team and a Big 10 team because those are the teams you don't really get to see very often. I like to play Michigan State. I like to for the the battle of MSU's, two teams that have a UM rival who like to admit to like to tell their fans that our big rival is actually this out of state school, but it's not true. Uh and then in the Pac-12, I, I Washington is probably the correct answer because just for the reasons that that Borky uh listed Seattle, I've always heard is a really really cool town. I would like to go there. Um and I think it would be a, a, a good matchup. But I wouldn't be against playing a team like Stanford either, or Cal. You know, Ole Miss has played Cal. Play, play a team out in the Bay Area, just for Brian Haydad's purposes. You know, go out there in football season. means the Giants are still playing baseball. can make my way over there. And I think those would be cool matchups. But you could the do, Michigan you State could do what I the one I'd pick the most. What did you do? You could watch a Giants game on Friday night. Yeah. 
Game's not going to kick off till late on Saturday. You could uh, get up early, go rent a bike, and ride it across the Golden Gate Bridge on Saturday morning. Well, you know, by football season of this year, I might be in that kind of shape. There you go. There you go. Cars are also an effective way to cross a bridge. Less work. They are, and they drive really fast alongside you while you're on your bike. Ugh. I bet. There's like a guide wire that separates you, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little unsettling. Uh, Rippy. Home and away. Um, I guess I'd probably go UCLA. You just want to go to the Rose Bowl? And L.A. And better weather. I imagine UCLA fans aren't insane because there's so much more stuff to do out there that, like, probably not, like, life and death. Um, so You'd rather see a game in the Rose Bowl against UCLA than a game against Southern Cal in the Coliseum? Yeah, because we had our that. buddy on the other day talking about getting to be on the Rose Bowl grass. That seems pretty sweet. That's a good point. Probably steal some grass. Good point. Here's my off the radar. You've heard me say it before. I would love to see Ole Miss play a home and home with Army. Oh yeah. I've always heard it's like like if you get there before the winter is bad. It's one of the most oh, beautiful yeah. areas of the country. I went to uh, I went to my wife's cousin's graduation. I was like cousin by marriage, which is actually no relationship at all. But uh, went to his graduation when he uh, uh, graduated from West Point, and man, it's so cool that the campus is spectacular. Yeah, you know, you're about an hour from New York City. I just think that's a great job. now. New York's my favorite trip in the world, or my favorite city in the world. And so you do like a almost like a week long deal where you spend some time in New York, and then you uh, you just kind of ease up along the Hudson, get to West Point, Mikey Stadium, lot of history in that building. Although I'm not sure that currently is the time that you want to play a home and home with Army because you want to no, win really the game. Good. Yeah, they're they're good now, um, and they run that funky option offense that nobody wants to to play against. All right, here are some of the responses on the C Spire text line. Mississippi State fan here. My dream matchup in a couple of years against NC State. Okay. Says he's getting that. He said, I grew up in North Carolina. The rest of my family went to NC State. Childhood friend has a kid playing there. Going to be a good time both ways. Jamie in Oxford suggests Ole Miss and Liberty. You're getting one <laughs> half of that here in a couple of years. Yeah. That's right. Liberty comes to Oxford in a couple of seasons, don't they? Mm-hmm. Well, that could be interesting. The DMs um, that will be slided in between now and then. Hey, baby, I'm back. Uh, a suggestion for Hawaii? Well, that sort of goes without saying. That's everybody's choice. Dan in Charleston, who is a, a Southern Miss fan, says a great home at home for me would be the Golden Eagles against Ole Miss. Mississippi State, Penn State, Happy Valley would be a cool place to play. George in West Point says Mississippi State, Penn State, or Ohio State. From Tusk, who is an Alabama fan, home and home with Clemson. Says just to watch the meltdown upon the national championship rematch. Steven wants that battle of MSU, Michigan, uh, Mississippi State, and uh, Michigan State. Here's another vote for USM playing cowardly Ole Miss. An Ole Miss-Ohio State, an Ole Miss-Virginia Tech, so I could experience that atmosphere, inner Sandman, and whatnot. Tim and Enterprise wants to see Ole Miss in Nebraska. That'd be a cool place to watch a game in person. 
Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.